everybody. You ready to get a little spiritual now? Well, welcome to Quantum number 154. And let's begin where we left off last week with some music from Mumford and Sons. That is them singing Amazing Grace. Well, that Amazing Grace has not been shown to Winston Marshall of Mumford, who has left because of the story that we related last week. This is an astonishing story. Um, and here is Marshall uh, in a, a fascinating interview with Barry Weiss, which I'd highly recommend. Listen to what he has to say here. Certainly for me, my faith has played a, a, um, a big part in this in this period of my life, and actually, the, the week before making the final decision, I was pretty much planted in my local Catholic church um, around the corner from the house um, because it felt like a a, a really big. Uh, I mean, it, it's been a bloody big moment for me. One of the things that I have noticed, and I, I was thinking of doing an essay on this, and you certainly fall into this camp, is that not everyone, but an inordinate number of people I find who have been willing to tell the truth and stand up, let's say, maybe you don't think of yourself that way, but I certainly do, stand up to the new illiberalism, are religious. And without making you uncomfortable, I wondered if you could just tell us a little bit more about how your faith guided you through this decision. Well, if I can quote the great American theologian of our time, Kanye West, <laughs> he said this a couple of years ago, I thought it was absolutely brilliant. He said, fear God and you will fear nothing else. And I think that that I love that because for me, I fear, I do fear God. Um, and uh, I think it's true that if you fear God sincerely, then you won't fear worldly issues, uh, worldly problems. Or, well, this, I mean, I fear God and I still get worried <laughs> plenty of the time. And, and, and uh, so I'm not going to pretend I'm. Like, uh, like, uh, who is it? Uh, have you read Corrie Ten Boom, the sister in Corrie Ten Boom, Nolly, I think it is, who's so, so fears, so, so faith is so strong in, in the Lord that she's quite happy to, she, she'll tell the truth all the time, um, even when the Nazis come into her, into her apartment and ask, where are the Jews? And she goes, oh, they're hiding in the cupboard because she can't lie. And you think, what? But then, so they take, they take the, have you read The Hiding Place? 
And no, I mean, good luck not crying when you do read it. Um, but the, the, the well, I guess if he's reading Corrie ten Boom, if you fear God, you won't fear anyone else. I suspect the faith he's talking about is a Christian faith. I don't know him. I, I don't know his story. But I think that that is a wonderful testimony. And her observation is actually fascinating. That the only ones who are really standing up, who can who can really stand up against this woke um, illiberalism that's occurring in our culture, are those who have a strong enough faith that they can cope with all the anger and hatred that gets directed towards them. Fascinating, absolutely fascinating. Well, let's now we're going to go all over the world this week, so let's go to Haiti. It appears to have been an organized and well-executed attack. The president's compound pockmarked with bullets, while security forces tried to control the scene. But it was already too late. President Juvenal Moesi is dead, his wife injured. And this chaotic country is now in an even greater mess. The acting prime minister was one uh, The president, Juvenal Moesi, uh, was killed by police in a gun battle. No, he wasn't killed by police. He was killed by a hit squad of some kind, they think from outside, and police killed four of them in a gun battle and two others have been arrested. Um, think of Haiti, one of, one of the poorest countries in the world, one of the most corrupt. The, the president had been asked to stand down by a number of bishops. The assassination itself, I, I don't think, will solve much. It creates political turmoil. Well, the, the turmoil is already there, but I don't think it's, it, it's, I think it's going to deepen that turmoil. And speaking of turmoil, let's go to Afghanistan. Let's uh, close this chapter of bloodshed and destruction and open a new chapter uh, and uh, invest uh, in the reconstruction of Afghanistan. And we are uh, welcome your economic assistance cooperation so why they are insisting to leave their forces for the embassy while in our view there is no threat uh, to them uh, any security threat to them uh, we uh, we assure them and we are there that when we are not targeting them who are another force to target them that's the taliban warning again that any Western troops left in Afghanistan will be considered foreign occupiers and subject to attack. Now, the US and its NATO allies have agreed to withdraw all troops um, in a return for the Taliban saying that they won't allow al-Qaeda or other extremist groups. Yeah, right. Uh, it's not looking good. It's not looking good for women in Afghanistan. It's not looking... It's a 20-year war that was fought and we lost. And then let's go to Germany. Um, this is an extraordinary story that's, that says a whole lot about our culture as well. So there is uh, a woman called uh, Sarah Wagenknecht, I think is how you pronounce her name. She's had a 30-year career in the left party, uh, social SPD. And she's written a book, which is bestseller in Germany right now. And she argues that German left-wing politics has been co-opted by a middle-class academic elite, which has little interest in the concerns of today's working class. 
She notes that they profess solidarity with the poor or with the working class, but their obsession is with identity politics, political correctness, and the welfare of minority groups. And, as she puts it, a rabid intolerance of anyone who disagrees. And, controversially, she says that Germany started on its downward slope during the 2015-2016 refugee crisis, and that that has gathered speed in the climate debate and with the pandemic. And what she says unites all three, and this is fascinating, is a reflex in Germany's media and political classes to negate criticisms of mainstream positions rather than engage with them and challenge them. She says that some of this is like Trump far-right populism, but she says that the new left liberal milieu, and I think this is a brilliant observation, that they need each other, they amplify each other, and they live off each other with a shared love of emotionalized outrage rituals, moralized defamation, and open hatred of those who think differently. It is spot on. It is spot on. There are people like Paul Embry in the United Kingdom who've been pointing out that that's what's happened with Labour. That's what's happening with Labour here in Australia. It's losing its core constituency for these kind of liberal progressive stroke woke who just despise and and who have have no way of coping with disagreement. Let's move country. Uh, do you recognise this national anthem? I think there's a clue in the words, by the way, for any Christians. Our elders and our children, they await our country's call. And on the day of crisis, they are as lions of the jungle. May God preserve, the heart of our East is ever, country's name. May God preserve her till end of time, all of us for our country, for our flag and glory. The gems of the East are her land and sea. Throughout the world, her good deeds flow from pole to pole. And her name is her glory since time began. Immortality's symbol, the cedar is her pride. All of us for our country, for our flag and glory. It's Lebanon, the cedars of Lebanon, of course, for those of you who know your Bibles well. Now, Lebanon is such an amazing country. You look at it, it's so beautiful. And for a while, it had Christian and Muslim, uh, Maronites, Jews living together in relative peace. But now it's in severe trouble. Its caretaker, Prime Minister Hassan Diab has called on the international crisis, on the international community to intervene because of an economic crisis which could really blow up more than half of the Lebanese population. And it used to be a very rich country, are living in poverty as a result of one of the worst economic depressions in modern history. The Lebanese pound has lost 90% of its value in the past 18 months. There are crippling shortages of medicine, fuel, and electricity. The political system is bitterly, bitterly divided. Um, 
They're looking for the IMF to implement a recovery plan, but linking aid to reform of corrupt political systems has become a threat to the life of the Lebanese. Uh, fuel prices have increased by as much as 50%. The majority of Lebanese do not get more than two hours of electricity a day. There's a broken bank system, a brain drain from the country, and food insecurity soaring. Just pray for Lebanon and, you know, Haiti, Lebanon, just so much trouble, Myanmar, so much trouble in this world. You just long for the Lord to bring peace. Okay, let's, this isn't really a good news story, but again, I'm sure this tune will be familiar to many of you, and if it's not, it should be. That is the theme from Bridge on the River Kwai. Now that's the story of the British prisoners of war who were forced to build the bridge on the River Kwai. Uh, the film itself is absolutely brilliant, well worth going to see, one of the classics. But the reason I'm playing that is the last known prisoner to work on that bridge, Horence Lyle Hutley, has died aged 104. Now his life is fascinating. The story of what happened to him is utterly fascinating. But I just thought it's the passing of an era. Do you know, the last of these soldiers, well, that particular, as far as we know, those particular uh, group from the, the war in the Far East. Bridge on the River Kwai. And then, let, let's, okay, let's, let's go from... The, what some might consider the glorious past of the United Kingdom to its current rather sad present. Uh, listen to this. I've seen the same kind of issues that have not been resolved. Does it matter who you vote for? They're all, they're all the same thing. It's, as long as we get Labour out. I've always voted Labour, but I realistically really think that our views aren't being aired. I've been a voter of Labour in the past, but I've seen the same kind of issues uh, that have not been resolved time after time and obviously West Yorkshire especially doesn't kind of get the importance that it needs. More effort needs to take place in terms of bringing people together rather than dividing them. Those are some of the voters from Badley and Spen in Yorkshire. Now what's really interesting about this is that Badley and Spen is a Labour stronghold, safe seat. But it, things are so bad for Labour just now that the Conservatives were actually expected to win it. And although they didn't, they came within 300 votes of winning it. And Keir Starmer is just absolutely, I think, relieved is how I put it, because it saved his leadership for a while. However, and I suspect if it wasn't for the mishaps of the former Health Secretary Hancock, that they would have lost it. And also the just the... the lack of interest in it, to be honest. But what struck me about this, almost 
this is astonishing. And again, it's a bit like the German situation. What we discover here is an indication of where society is going. So Starmer tweeted this, fantastic result for the brilliant and brave Kim Ledbetter. Kim ran a positive camp ho- campaign of hope in the face of division. But she didn't. That's the point, or at least the Labour Party didn't. I, I was astounded to see a leaflet that they put out with the Premier of India and Boris Johnson and the words, he's not your friend about Boris Johnson. Now, why should you be astounded at that? Because it was bringing the politics of Kashmir to England. There is significant Muslim minority in Batley and Spain, many of them from Pakistan. And for the Labour Party to show a picture of a Hindu premier from India, their enemy, together with Boris Johnson linking those two was utterly, utterly disgusting. And utter hypocrisy to say a a positive campaign of hope. Ledbetter posed for a photograph with local campaigners supporting t-shirts that depicted Israel as Palestine, touted her pro-Palestinian credentials by heaping scorn on uh, Israel, and defended that horrendous leaflet. And Keir Starmer was not out of this. He used one parliamentary question time to demand that Boris Johnson convince other world leaders at the G7 to recognise a Palestinian state. It was the lowest of the low gutter politics. But he calls it a campaign, a positive campaign of hope. I give the gift of love. All right, time to come to Australia. That was The Proclaimers, Let's Get Married. Well, this is just an amazing story about uh, Australia's incredible immigration situation just now. There's a, a couple, Alicia Tucker, who is Australian, and Simon van Oort, who is also, oh no, he's Dutch. They have refused, the Australian government have refused them eight times a travel exemption that he can enter Australia to marry his Dutch fiance, Alicia Tucker. Sorry, to marry his Australian fiance, Alicia Tucker is 22. Simon Van Oort is 25. They they met uh, in the Netherlands. Um, no, they first met when he came to Australia to visit cousins, and then she went to a Christian summer camp in the Netherlands. Now, why have they been refused? The Australian border force haven't revealed, but. It looks like this is the case, and I know others who've had this experience, that they can't adequately prove they're a couple as their Christian beliefs mean they won't move out of home together before marrying. And as 
She says it's like our relationship doesn't exist because we can't prove we live completely together and we share bills together and so on. Our relationship is real. We're planning on getting married, but we decided on not living together and not starting our family together until we're married because of our religious beliefs. But they think that's not good enough. Wow. Wow. Meanwhile, let me just say at a personal note, um, you know, my father has died and I have written about that. I would love to have gone back to the funeral next Tuesday. I can't go. Even if the government gave me permission, which they won't in here in Fortress, Australia, I costed how much it would go. 200,000 Australian dollars. That's about 140,000 UK pounds for myself and my wife to go back. And that's, of course, because of COVID. Well, let's talk a little bit about COVID. Think about Nepal. I may resent and others find it difficult not being able to visit relatives and loved ones and so on in these circumstances. The Nepali church has lost more than 130 pastors during a second wave of the pandemic that's pushed deaths past 9,000 and cases past 635,000. More than 500 pastors have caught COVID, but 130 have died with it. Wow. And then COVID again. Let's stick with COVID and back to the UK. Health Secretary Sajid Javid revealed this. He says, We estimate there's some 7 million people that did not come forward to the NHS to be helped with things like cancer and with heart disease. Think about the deaths that have been caused by that. Yeah. Professor Gordon Wishart highlights the fact that there was a 43% reduction in patients undergoing prostatectomies for prostate cancer in the UK. A 3% decrease in Sweden, which did not shut down. Lockdowns have costs as well. But Professor Susan Meakey of SAGE doesn't seem to recognise that. And she's fascinating because there was an extraordinary interview with her. And I do want to just play a little bit of that for you just now. The situation was so serious. But the situation's even more serious now than it was then. Listen, there's a point I really have to put to you, and, and you'll be aware of this, because there's been a lot of, um, of commentary about this in the British media about you. Um, and it's, it's to do with your politics. And, and you know what I'm going to ask you. Uh, you've been a member of the Communist Party for about 40 years now. You're, you're still a member. And we know that, that communism is basically statist. We look at communist countries around the world and we see that they are tremendously top-down dominant and control societies that they, that they rule over. And I just wonder... And I'm putting this question on behalf of those who wonder about your politics. If your politics actually informs your sense of control, it's not just, it's not just the medical arguments, but you have a kind of a political bent to want the state to tell people what to do. I've come on your programme as a scientist, as do all people who come onto your programme as scientists. They come on to talk about the evidence, relevant theories, how we approach our scientific disciplines. And you don't ask other scientists about politics. So I'm very happy to speak about science, which is what my job is, um, and to limit it to that. So you're, you're saying that your politics doesn't... See, she's a member of the Communist Party. The question that was put to her was perfectly legitimate and fair. She refuses to answer it. I, you know, the, the idea that politics has got nothing to do with this, it has a lot to do with it. And the idea that someone who's been a member of the Communist Party for, what is it, 30 or 40 years is determining how the country is run. 
that itself is 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 breathtaking well we've uh, I've spoken of um, a couple of deaths and here's another one uh, a sad one in many ways Joel Edwards who was the former head of the Evangelical Alliance he was a Jamaican who came to Britain started out as a probation officer served as senior pastor of Mylan New Testament Church of God an honorary canon of St. Paul's Cathedral. But it's really as leading the Evangelical Alliance that he will be remembered. Um, I had a lot of time for Joel. Um, not many people know this because I didn't tell them, but I had a meeting with him a number of years ago where he came up to Dundee and asked me to set up, um, to do evangelism separately from what I was doing. And I explained to him why I couldn't and why I believed evangelism was better done through the local church and so on. Um, I think it's a bit ironic for me that I hear about his death when I'm doing precisely what he had asked me to do. But may he be replaced and uh, may we have more leaders like him. And I guess we're going to stick with the football. Um, this, this, by the way, is an extraordinary story. This combines football and wokeness and intolerance combined. Uh, listen to this. Me and me mum and me dad and me grand went off to war to loo. Me and me mum and me dad and me grand in a bucket of vindaloo. That's the Fat Liz's chart hit Vindaloo, which is one of these, you know, the ridiculous football songs. I mean, Bridge on the River, River Kauai, the theme from that is often get used. And there are, there are many other themes. It seems as though Sweet Caroline is, is uh, being sung all the time just now. But the story with this is that what you heard there was a group of children, uh, primary school children, as young as five. They painted their faces with the St. George's flag. They are a flake. Fleet Primary School in Fleetwood, Lancashire. They made a three-minute video. It got over 100,000 views. Everyone loved it. Their choir had reached the final Britain's Got Talent a couple of years ago, but the school deactivated their Twitter account. Um, because I don't want to be exposed to this kind of mindless hooliganism, said one person. Um, another troll branded the innocent children a sea of aggressive white faces and it disgusted and worried me. Um, the video just shows kids laughing and, and joking as they run through corridors carrying the St. George's flags. As Toby Young says, if these children had painted their flag faces with the flag of the European Union or the Danish flags, the same skulls would have congratulated the school on teaching the children a valuable lesson about the international brotherhood of man. Uh, maybe a, a couple of, of letters to finish. Um, one of you from America tells me that uh, America is not the kind of the two extremes on the on the coast, but, you know, the flyover territory. I think that's true. I do think that's true. However, I will say this. 
that um, although the majority of Americans are not represented by what we're reading and seeing, I think the majority of Americans are being led into that. Um, and then someone else writes and talks about the book of Judges and Samson and all Israel doing what it's like with their own eyes and talking about comment about authenticity. And it says, it seems to me that while authenticity recommends itself by being anti-hypocrite and transparent, it also seems that most people take it in the judge's sense of a license to do what they want. Well, authenticity is important. Being real is important. But being real and right is important. I can be authentic and wrong. I can be an authentic adulterer and wrong. Okay, got so much, so, so much. And thanks, for folks, for sending stuff in. All the comments, letters, everything else. Um, thank you for those who knew about my father. I, I did write about that. I'll, I'll maybe say more about that next week. But I'm going to leave you with this. I was watching, um, you know, just thinking about my father. And we're from the Highlands of Scotland. And I was watching a film about the Highlands of Scotland. And this song came to mind. And I, I hated it at the time. But now I, I actually really quite like it. Mull of Kintyre or Miss Rolling In From The Sea. Want to support Podbean? Uh, sorry, want to support our, our podcast? Go on to the Podbean fundraiser. Want to send me any further information? Do that. But God bless you. And see you next week. I'm